0: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at
1: interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, here we go again. Happy Monday. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend. And hopefully, for some of you, you are able to partake in this year's Shed Rally. And for those of you who don't know what Shed Rally is, Shed Rally is something that Whitetail Properties has come up with the past couple years, and it is to try to get everybody outside to do some shed hunting, and this is my second or third year that I have taken part in it, and I did it with my wife, my buddy Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt, uh, some of his friends, and then my buddy... Ben Harshine from Huntera, who also works for uh, Whitetail Properties as well. Um, we got together on a big farm. We did a lot of shed hunting, and uh, the first part of the the day we didn't find too many. My wife found one, and then two other guys found one. So the first four hours of the shed hunt was three sheds, and then the next like we, we ate lunch and then we went for a walk and i'd say in the next hour we found i want to say 10 or so sheds uh to, to uh wind down the day i myself found two really good ones i know mark found really good one ben found a giant from a couple years ago and then some of the buddies that ben or excuse me that mark brought found uh, quite a few as well so um i'll tell you it was a blast to not only get out and have a successful shed hunt but just get out and walk i don't know i'm i love like mushroom hunting and i love looking for sheds and scouting all the things that are kind of you know mushroom hunting obviously has nothing to do with hunting whitetails but I like doing those kind of activities. So, and then the fact that I can share that with my wife is even, even better because I got to include her in and, uh, got our picture taken together with, uh, what we found. And she actually found one of the biggest sheds that she's ever found. Uh, so that makes her happy. And when she's happy for all you married guys, when the wife is happy, then I can be happy. So, uh, Shed Rally 2018 was a success, and uh, I'm going to probably have one more weekend to actually get out and do it, and and then after that, green up's going to start, and then I'm going to be shifting a little bit more towards turkey hunting, and uh, do that for a weekend, and uh, then it goes right back to uh, getting mineral out for... Uh, trail cameras and whitetail again so that whole circle of life kind (laughs) of is happening again and you know the next thing you know it's going to be summer and I'm going to be training real hard for an elk hunt and running trail cameras to see what deer are still in the area and then it's hunting season and we all know what happens from there but That kind of leads us in what today's podcast is about, and today we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Brett Smith, and we are going to be talking specifically about run and gun hunting tactics and the gear that we use uh, to do our run and gun hunting, Uh, that style or that method of uh, hunting. And it's just, we get into a really in-depth, detailed conversation about it. It's something that a lot of us have to do, whether we're hunting private ground or public ground, a lot of these principles can relate to either or. So hopefully you guys can take away something from this podcast that you might be able to implement this upcoming year uh, to be as mobile as possible and as efficient as possible when it comes to uh, hunting whitetails in a run-and-gun type scenario. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I got a runny nose all of a sudden. But before we get into that, I just want to say that if you haven't already taken the opportunity to go go to ripcordarrowrest.com, do it. Ripcord is a badass company Uh, drop-away rest. They are one of the best drop-away rests on the market and they are made for hunters by hunters. It's an American company, so uh, please take all that into consideration. If you you haven't ever looked into a ripcord, you need to uh, because they're Straight up a badass and the owner Keith Is a marine and he's a badass too So take that into consideration When you're looking to buy A new arrow rest go to Ripcordarrowrest.com Other than that Let's get into today's Run and gun hunting Tactics podcast With Brett Smith All right, everybody welcome back Today on the podcast I have here Mr. Brett Smith how you doing today Brett not too bad, man. How about you? You know, I can't complain. I got uh, a little shed hunting done this weekend uh, with the wife. Found uh, some little, some little antlers. Nothing big, and uh, and then it snowed up here again, so the ground is covered here in Iowa as we speak. And hopefully, uh, it thaws out by this weekend, so I can uh, get out and do some more shed hunting. Um, you have you done any shed
1: hunting this year? I've done a little bit, but uh, quite honestly, in the area that I'm in, it in uh, in Wisconsin, I mean, everything is so pressured. I, I, feel, I, I feel like I have a really hard time finding sheds. Me and my buddy were actually talking about this. You know, I, I can't really remember a time where we have found sheds. Um, in Wisconsin, and that's why we're actually we're actually headed down to Missouri this week. And we do a little shed hunting and try and find some new properties to hunt for the upcoming season. So, gotcha.
0: And we're going to get into all that here in a little bit more detail, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about what this particular podcast is about. But before we do get into all that, what part of Wisconsin are you from, and what do you do for a living?
1: I'm um, from the Green Bay area. Um, I'm about 15 minutes out of Green Bay, a little bit to the north. Um. I work for a company called Lawson Products. So basically, it's a big, uh, big industrial sales company. I'm an outside sales rep, so don't actually have a home or a, like a base office. I guess you can say we're actually located out of Chicago. So I do a lot of my work from home, and uh, basically that allows me to have a lot of flexibility during hunting season. Um, as long as you know I'm, I'm up to date with all my stuff, I mean, like I said, uh, I'm pretty much good to go and get on the field and do my thing. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a good thing having a job that I do. Right. So, do sales?
0: Your do your sales go down in October and November?
1: You know what? I actually made the joke with my boss, so you can kind of expect that. You know, from time to time, but miraculously, somehow they went up, even though <laughs> little does my boss know. I, I mean, I was I was out in uh, Missouri for a little bit, and I mean, that first week like, in November, we're all spending more time in the street than anything else. So, so uh, somehow the the numbers ended up pretty good uh, this December, this, uh, uh, November. So I got lucky
0: with that one. Well, now you have some brownie points with your uh, with your boss, so that you know if uh, next year or the year after or whatever the uh, numbers slide a little bit, you should just say, "Hey, man, uh, you know, last year was a money year, man."
1: Exactly, he, he knows what they're going to, do, so I think he kind of expects it. So when I had a good
0: year, he was, uh, he was he was pretty satisfied with it. So nice, nice. So what in in that portion of the state, Green Bay area? Um, yep you've already mentioned it's kind of high it's a high pressure area do you do most of your hunting on public ground private ground how's that work um
1: a lot of it over the years i've gained access to private ground and ultimately those always seem to be my best spots uh last year i did actually uh i mean i still hunt public ground but last year i actually harvested my buck um on public ground um but it's it's kind of a I'd say it's probably a seventy percent private, thirty percent public deal. I mean, you really gotta you gotta travel. Uh, I would say at least forty-five minutes away from the Green Bay area to really get away from the pressure, um, just because of the population of Green Bay. I mean, it's a hundred thousand people. It's enough to to clog up the local woods. I mean, there's some there's some good locations nearby, but like I said, it just it's so overcrowded. You really gotta travel. So you're gonna you're gonna hunt the public land or find the small managed forest pieces that you know, people put in that managed forest program and open them to the public and, and basically find them for other people do. So that's kind of my strategy. Right.
0: So with that said, are you sharing uh, your private ground that you have access uh, to with other hunters?
1: Thankfully, um, for the most part, I'm not. Um, the one person that I kind of share a little bit with is actually, uh, it's a college kid. Um, I, uh, I got to know, his older sister actually graduated with um, quite a quite a ways back, and uh, basically got to know their family. And he's off at the college, so if he, if he does come home, I kind of offer to take him out, um, you know, and, and get him some venison and stuff like that. I mean, it's not really not really sharing, but you know, every once in a while, I'll at least have somebody out, somebody else out there. But like I said, it was a late season deal this year anyway, and I was already cranked out, so it, it works out pretty decent that way. Right, right. So. The question I have
0: uh, for you then is, you know, what what is your goal or, or strategy going into each year? And not, okay, not necessarily a strategy, but are you after venison? Are you after, like, uh, maturity? What are you looking for every year when uh, the season comes?
1: Well, I definitely, I mean, we get a decent amount of dough tags in, uh, in Wisconsin. You can go and buy a lot of them over the time. So I'm definitely not against taking the doughs out, but ultimately, I don't uh, to, to, to shoot the best caliber, you know, best caliber deer that I possibly can. Sometimes in this area, I mean, that might only be a three and a half year old, but you know, I strive to to set the standards for a four and a half year old, um, you know, at least every year. And I get a couple on camera, but quite honestly, I mean, the, it, I mean, even the, the private ground is pretty well pressured, and I feel like we all kind of set our standards pretty high to begin with. And we find ourselves, you know, getting down to the wire, and eventually, sometimes I wouldn't say we settle because I mean. Everything is a trail scene, but, uh, I mean, ideally, I mean, I'm going after the most mature deer that I can get my hands on.
0: Right. Now, do you have these deer located before the season even starts with trail cameras and, like, uh, I guess, nightly drives? Or are you the kind of guy who goes into the timber and just hopes that there is a big mature buck that comes through?
1: I mean, for the most part, we're out. You know, doing the doing the scouting from the road and getting trail cameras out. I mean, sometimes I get my trail cameras out trail cameras out almost too early. It's it's like I'm getting them out there and I can hardly tell you know which buck is even which just because <laughs> of the whole velvet thing. I get too excited, but right, no, right. I, I definitely like to get out there and get an inventory. Um, but honestly, I mean, as soon as that velvet drops here, you know, as soon as September one rolls rolls around, it's a whole nother ball game. Very few of those deer. In those court areas, for obvious reasons, you know, food sources and and stuff like that. I mean, very rarely do a lot of those bucks stick around. Um, but if anything, they they sometimes do come back. Um, you know, during the rut is when I have you know seen them make another appearance. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. So it's not like you have you know I know some guys who can tell you where a buck is at on their property every day of the week. Because they run trail cameras and check them so often, um, right. Whether that buck is nocturnal or not, um, so it sounds like you're kind of somewhere in the middle.
1: Definitely. I mean, I've, I've had deer that I can pretty much pin down. Whether I can get on them or not is a whole other story. Because you think yeah, you got them pinned down sometimes, but I I can put you know a certain deer. I mean, I can almost guarantee you. I can think of one buck, you know, and uh, he ended up getting killed this year. He's about 150 inch nine-pointer um i mean he he had a small core area but a matter of of getting him to move or or finding him within that core area always seems difficult but uh yeah it's kind of a toss-up both ways gotcha
0: now it also you know you also mentioned that you go down to missouri uh is is that a a rut trip or is that what why do you leave wisconsin to go hunt missouri
1: well honestly i've never had much luck in Wisconsin outside really the first week of November I can pretty much pin down three days in November that I don't know why it happens this way but I'm always gonna pretty much get my kills in those couple of days this this year I was a couple of days outside those you know that November five six seven deal but um we ended up going down to uh Missouri near the buddy and we uh we kind of did a, a you know DIY public land um type deal and we traveled all across northern Missouri, basically. Um, just basically, you know, kind of getting a feel for their public land, um, and I've, I've been down there before, but this year was our first time on public, so uh, kind of just getting a feel for things, and ultimately the quality of deer, I mean, it's it's superior to where I'm at in Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, I mean, it just makes for a lot more fun, and like I said, if I go down there, my ultimate goal this year was to was the double up in Missouri and Wisconsin, which we can get to maybe later. I was about one inch away from doing it, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, I I feel like my best odds are to be in Wisconsin for that first week. So if I can swing, you know, a Missouri trip on either side of that that prime rut week in Wisconsin, so I feel like that's my best chances of really doubling up. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes some sense, man. Now, yeah.
0: so Wisconsin and Missouri sounds like uh, those are your states, and I take it from just you reaching out to me, uh, you prefer archery over uh, bow hunting over rifle
1: or gun. definitely I mean if if I if I put a gun in my hands it's it's probably three four hunts out of the year and it's really only because I mean a lot of guys who hunt uh, Wisconsin and Michigan I, I definitely don't be able to relate to this you know you, you go up north and you do the the uh, you know the deer hunting camp type thing and that's just the way it is you don't necessarily go up there to killed deer it's more so for the camaraderie of being with the group and drinking some beers and and telling stories type thing but uh other outside those couple days i mean it's strictly bow hunting for me and even sometimes up there i'm still rolling with a bow instead of a gun right yeah man
0: i don't know what it is i like i haven't used a gun on in deer for it you know i haven't used a gun for deer hunting in like seven or eight years man i mean okay yeah in the, the time I, I did go, the last time I did go, I almost got shot during a party hunt. So, I'm like, from that point on, I was like,
1: okay, I'm done. I'm just going yeah, to stick to bow hunting. That'll change <laughs> the perspective on, uh, on the gun real quick. I mean, even this year, we ended up making two trips to Missouri. My last one was during the you know, alternative method season, um, which means a loader pistol, or whatever. And, of course, I decided, you know, I, I normally roll to bow. I'm going to keep, you know, doing it down to the wire and, of course, if I would have brought the muzzle loader. I had a couple shots at about 70, 80 yards. I, I could have pecked off, you know, a pretty nice buck on two separate occasions. But, um, I mean, I'm pretty much rolling with the bow. Well, I maybe re- regretted it, regret it a little bit that time, especially because I've never killed anything with the muzzle loader. It's just one of those things I've just, I've always, I've always kind of had it on the back of my mind. But if I can carry a bow, know that's what I'm doing. So Absolutely. Now, I want to get into
0: the reason why you contacted me right and that is and that is run and gun hunting right i talk i talk a lot about a lot i talk about it a lot i'm having trouble talking today (laughs) but (laughs) i uh, i talk about it a lot it's my favorite method of hunting right like i think this year i'm looking at a map now and i had like one two three four different um four different tree stands that were set in the summer and they were there, uh-huh. you know, for the rut. And I hunted one of them. I just hunted right. one of them. Uh, the rest were 100. You know, I was mobile the rest of the time, bouncing in and out. Killed my deer this year on a, a first time in, best time in type hunt, right, running right. gun style. And um, you feel that that is a great method as well. So, talk to me a little bit about why you have come to love this run and gun technique
1: honestly i think what it really comes down to is getting into new scenery every time i honestly feel like your first time in a new spot is always the best and chances are i'm not gonna ever i mean when i am running and gunning which is 99 percent of the time i'm not going to be sitting in that spot more than twice you're kind of going balls to the wall you know trying to make the best move you can out of here and uh, trying to put yourself in that right position so Basically, I mean that's that's kind of how I go about doing it, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've definitely had the most success doing it. Like I said, you, you brought up you only had one or two, or you had a couple, you know, couple permanent stands set up, and I was the same way this year. I mean, the sound good and feel, but quite honestly, when it all comes down to it, I'm generally running it most of the time. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. So, over the years, and and I want to talk to you about how many how many years ago was it that all of a sudden, you know, because for the most part, people always start off in permanent tree stands, right? You you really, exactly. no one ever really, and I could be wrong here. I'm just going to use the law of average and say that a majority of the people who start hunting don't start off hunting run-and-gun style. You know what I mean? Definitely. So how many years ago did you start this run-and-gun, and how long has it taken you to get, extremely comfortable
1: with this method I'd say I started probably doing it about four years ago and like you said I mean we all kind of start out in the permanent you know the permanent stands and then maybe you know you kind of switch to something like a climber and you know you slowly progress into doing the running gunner just because it can get you literally any tree so I mean I've been doing it for four years and uh I mean honestly I think it's it, like I said it puts you in the best scenario just to, just to get in a new spot every single time so like I said four years I've been doing it and every day I feel like I'm still learning something new um, you get down a system you know that you start dealing with and and pretty soon you get good enough at it where you really don't even have to think about it and um, that's the ultimate goal but uh, I mean I feel like I still feel like I put myself in a weird position you know you pick that that weird tree, you know. Every time it's like it's the only one that's perfectly, you know, where you need to be, but it's just such an awkward tree, or whatever the, the case is. So you have a little bit of a, you know, different difficulty. I guess you can say every time you try and try and run and get. But I, I feel like I'm learning stuff every single uh, every single time I do it. But at the same time, I feel like you know I'm pretty proficient at it. You know where I'm at right now.
0: Right. So f- for the most part, unless people get some positive reinforcement of some kind of change that they've made in their life they're not going to continue to do something Um, was changing over to a run-and-gun style for you instantly rewarding or did it take some time for you to start to be able to walk into the timber find the best possible tree and set up on it
1: well that's the thing too i mean you learn to scout a lot more you got you got to really get down to the nitty-gritty and and try and pick that perfect tree but I mean, it, it's, like I said, I mean, it, it never, you always think it's getting easier, but, I mean, you, you put yourself in, in some, some crazy spots sometimes, and you're just like, I don't even know why I'm in this location. But, I mean, ultimately, like I said, it, it puts me, I don't know, I, I just feel like having that, you know, the mobility um, of the running gun is, is probably the most most important aspect of it because, I mean, you, you can really get in there and hone in on, on those those you know those betting areas or wherever wherever you're ultimately trying to get at, right, right. And
0: I guess it's taken you four years I mean, you've been doing it for four years, and you said that you know you're always learning something different, but how many years did it take you, or how many seasons or whatever or sits did it take you to get, I guess, not necessarily refined, but comfortable?
1: I would say it takes you, uh, I mean, it took me a good year. and I, I mean, I, I try to get out quite a bit too, but like I said, there's just so many different scenarios you can put yourself in in, in order to, to really perfect the art of the running gun. I mean, you got to have a system, one, but you've got to put yourself in a lot of different situations, you know, in order to be able to adapt to them all. So I would say it, it took me at least that first solid year, and even into the second, I mean, you're still modifying your setup and, and learning ways that maybe you can be more efficient, a little more quiet, and hopefully a little bit faster. But, I mean, if I had to rank... You know, being quiet, efficient versus you know speed. I would I'd would still pick being quiet and efficient. But you you learn all those things with all the different you know type of scenarios. But I would say it took me a good year to to year and a half. I would say about a season and a half almost. Gotcha.
0: Now I want to get into the the gear in just a little bit, but I have this question uh, I want to ask you, and it's it's kind of a comment, but it's a question as well. Where r- being able to do a run and gun setup from a gear standpoint is fairly easy uh, when when you think mm-hmm. about it you can you can learn how to use the gear and that to me that's fairly easy right i, I can take a lone wolf and sticks i can set it up in a tree even if the tree's crooked i can trim right. some lanes i can get set up i can you know i can refine how i wear it on my back how i you know set it up how i tear it down but <laughs> the, the the second part of a run and gun is to no terrain, sign, travel corridors, bedding areas, you know, food sources, uh, wind direction, how terrain, like all this other stuff, right? Exactly. So does, did that, I mean, talk to me a little bit about how the second part of this equation, you know, how you, how you learn the second part of this equation.
1: Honestly, just get, getting out in the field, um, I can really say from hunting Missouri versus hunting Wisconsin, learning how you can get away with hunting certain pieces of terrain. I mean, it's a it's a cause. I guess it's it's almost like a trial, um, you know, a trial sort of thing. You, you kind of go in and you try stuff, but uh, sometimes you find out it doesn't work out. I mean, prime kind of example this year. There was a couple of draws I was looking to hunt um, based off of Onyx maps. Um, you know, and I ended up kind of getting close to them, but I was hunting in these bottoms. And come to find out, these bottoms, you know, the wind swirls, I mean, which should be common sense. But, of course, you know, I was kind of I had tunnel vision. I was like, this is where I want to go. I feel like it's close to a pretty good bedding area we got eyes on. So, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a two-part system. It's it's awesome to be mobile, but you still got to be able to put yourself in, in the positions, especially when you're hunting terrain. I mean, hunting terrain versus hunting flat ground. I mean, knowing how your thermals are gonna work and all sorts of different things. I mean, it's a it's a it's a two part system and I mean I really feel like in order to be, you know, good at one, or I I guess you could say be successful overall, you gotta be you gotta be good at one but you gotta be great at the other one too. So it's 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 not all just, you know, putting a stand on your back and going and picking a tree. I mean you really you really got to know how to scout deer too. I mean, you don't want to be going out there, walking out the stand on your back, blind, not, not knowing what you're getting into, which sometimes on these running guns, you know, especially going to new states and trying public land, sometimes you do, but I mean, that's when you get you, you, your online scouting and stuff like that. But it's definitely a two-part system. You're definitely right about that.
0: And, and even this, like scouting is one thing, right? I mean, you can go in and you can, you can, you know, whether it's before season or after season or even during the season, you, right. can go, you can go do some scouting. But you never really know what is in that area until you're actually sitting in the tree, you're quiet, and you're in observation mode. So, right. so scouting is great, but how many times have you failed? And, and maybe give a specific example of maybe going in on a run and gun based off what you've learned from scouting and then failing and then making an adjustment because of that failure.
1: That, that exact hunt that I was just talking about in Missouri. So basically um, I had this draw picked out, um, you know, I figured they'd be using it as a, as travel access or a travel route up as access up and down these ridges um, into the bottoms where, where a lot of the thicket and possible bedding was. Um, and, Basically, I, I it was the first time in there. I was going just off a map, and uh, I mean, I ended up getting a little turned around because, I mean, one going into a place you've never been into before, and, and the complete dark is is always a challenge too. Setting up in the dark is is a whole another whole another ball game. But I ended up um, basically setting up probably sixty yards off this draw, which in this case, the scouting the online scouting did work out perfectly, I guess, but. I ended up sitting sitting a little bit farther back because I was running out of time. And ultimately, uh, probably 20 minutes after light, sure enough, a shooter buck, you know, he, he goes up this, this draw um, and climbs up the ridge. And this is the same one that I'm talking about with the windage and thermals and stuff like that. My wind was blowing to the left side of my face going the right, and he was, you know, up on my left side, and he still managed to catch my wind. So, like I said, I, mean, it, 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 I put myself in the right position, but not necessarily knowing how to hunt that terrain. Um, definitely, I mean, it ultimately got me busted, and that's one thing I learned, too. I mean, hunting, staying a little bit higher on those ridge tops, Um, especially, I mean, if thermals are already rising in the morning, I mean, that's definitely a double whammy. That's that's something I should have been doing from the start, so I definitely learned from it from that way. I mean, if I would have been just sitting on top of the ridge, instead of sitting in the bottoms where the wind's swirling, which I thought I had a pretty good gusty wind where it it shouldn't have swirled anyway, but but it did, and, and that's how it turned out. So, like I said, if if I would have uh, kind of you know climbed up to the top of the ridge, uh, ultimately I probably would have been successful if everything you know went the way it did. Okay, so on your run and gun, gun
0: setup, right? You let's say scouting leads you to a specific location in a on a specific piece of property. Right. You have your stand on your back. You're getting ready to step into the timber or start your access route into, you know, to get to this, uh, stand location, walk us through the thought process and what's kind of going through your head when you're looking for a specific tree to set up in.
1: Ultimately, it's just reading sign. Hopefully you're putting yourself in, a, in an area where, you know, you can you can get on a rub line, um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, ultimately you want to use the, the terrain your benefit when accessing these spots whether you know you think there's a bedding area on one side of the ridge maybe you want to access it with the other and you know also also focusing on what the thermals are doing and stuff like that but I mean every every setup is different I try to I try to put myself in pinch points on that same one I was just talking about that it was a pinch basically between a really uh, really thick uh, almost like a sapling thicket like uh, popple slashings and uh, the base of the hill, and then a crick that ran through it so Ultimately, if I can, if I can, you know, narrow down on those, those trails close to bedding areas, um, that really pinch those deer down and give them minimal routes, I mean, that's ultimately what I'm looking for, you know, the, the perfect tree, um, you know, in those locations, which when I say the perfect tree, it's, it's more so the location of the tree other than, uh, you know, the tree itself, because I put myself in some very crooked trees. And that's another thing about these running guns. I mean, you have the adjustable, the adjustable, um, You know, the the platforms with with the muddies or the long wolves and those, those setups really allow you to get in some of the most crooked trees possible. So it's, it's more about the location than the tree itself, but that's, that's basically how I go about doing it. Gotcha.
0: All right. Now on a side note, everybody has their kind of preferences, right? I am a, I am a guy who likes river bottom ground, uh, right. Maybe somewhere along a creek. Or, like, a man-made where a man-made pinch point meets a natural pinch point, and I'll I'll just describe real quick one of my favorite stand locations. It is a, it is a cattle pasture with a fence that comes into the timber, right, and then a big mm-hmm. bend in a creek. That gets real steep on one end and it forces all these deer to come through this one, I'd say, 100-yard pinch you know, in between two big properties. And a lot of deer come through that every year, all times of day. Do you have a specific or, or a preference in terrain or, I guess, tree stand location when you're looking to do a run-and-gun?
1: Ultimately, I want to put myself in some sort of pinch or funnel. Um, I mean, if I can have a little bit of structure as far as terrain goes, you know, just, just knowing that maybe a deer is going to bed up on this ridge just because it's vantage point or whatever the case might be, you know, if I can get myself close to those locations, that's always ideal. But when I, you know, in, in the situations that I find myself in, a lot of times it's high pressure and ultimately what I'm trying to do is either use other people's hunting pressure to to basically manipulate how those, how those deer are going to move and ultimately choose my spot or just get away from where I think, um, you know, the, the other hunters are all, all together. Because sometimes, I mean, all the time, really, I mean, when it comes down to hunting high-pressure ground, you're not hunting the deer. You're hunting the people. And basically, if you can get away with those people, you're, you're basically going to be more likely to at least get your eyes on some, some mature deer. So
0: so is that, is that something that you you really try to focus on when you're going into a – I guess what I'm saying is go into more detail about that because I do the same thing on the properties where I hunt, where if I know a guy's in a tree stand, I know his wind's probably not... He, I know he's probably not as anal retentive as me when it comes to his, exactly. his setup. So right. talk, to, talk to me about what you specifically do when you find out there's another hunter in the area.
1: Prime example, actually where I shot my buck this year... Um, so it's so a kind of picture of this. So the next 40 over, there's a ridge. And I know for a fact I've been on the property that all these deer bet on this ridge. It's a vantage point. Um, and basically the way that this hunter would set himself up, he'd be blowing these deer out on our predominant wind. I mean, 90% of the time. So what I did is I kind of set myself up where if I figured there was deer on this ridge, they'd circle around. And on this particular location, there's these man-made ponds that were put in by the DNR a long time ago. And basically along the edge of these ponds, there's probably, I would say 15 yards of, of just grass and then woods. So it's, it's easy route for these deer to walk. And ultimately, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a pinch having those ponds there. So that's actually how my setup worked out this year. And sure enough, um, I ended up, after I did harvest my buck, I noticed that the guy was actually in there and sure enough, the deer that I killed circled around kind of like I thought and I just so happened to be in the right pinch, you know, for the for the way that he ended up, um, you know, kind of forcing another deer off that uh, that that big ridge. So, it ended up working out for me there. So, like I said, ultimately, if I can get in some sort of pinch, that just happened to be, you know, that pinch or funnel in that, that particular location, but that's, that's the ultimate goal every time for right. me. Okay.
0: Now I kind of want to transition to gear, uh, just a little bit here and, you know, guys have been killing big deer doing run and gun with less stuff than, than we're using today. Right. So, so, you know, I think, I think that if you're, if you can locate deer and set up on them and kill, you know, I think that's awesome and you don't necessarily need some of this gear but at the same time, I think some of this gear that we use really helps make it easier, right?
1: I would definitely agree. I mean, like, I mean, if you think about it, you're really trying to move, like I said earlier, on, on getting down into, like, where these deer are betting, so that hopefully maybe you're getting within 100, 200 yards from And if you don't have the right gear, you know, you don't have, you know, something that's going to keep you quiet ultimately getting in there, well, that hunt's blown before it even starts. So, I mean, I definitely think it's it's important to have the right gear right right so talk to me about your gear how
0: you use it basically describe your run and gun setup definitely
1: so i have a lone wolf setup that i use sometimes honestly as far as modifications go to that setup, it's a pretty bulletproof setup i mean i think they've done a great job with with how uh um, you know how they came up with everything there the only thing is just basically what i do i'm cheap when it comes to you know making the the adjustments and the upgrades so when that stand folds down I'll I'll tie a little bit of rope down so when it hits metal on metal that thing's dead silent. But the other the other setup that I am using, I'm using the muddy vantage. And I think they might have made some uh, some modifications and kinda changed it. And I think it might be called the vantage point now. But the original one was the same color as the uh the lone wolf, but I find myself using that uh the muddy a little bit more. Um for whatever reason. I guess I don't know. I just maybe it's you know the closest thing to the truck when I when I go but that setup's a little bit different. I made some modifications, you know, to make it personal to me. Um, you know, whether it's just, you know, taping stuff up or whatever it is, the thing that's different about that, um, that tree stand versus the Lone Wolf is the Lone Wolf has that easy end system. Well, the, the Muddy has, like, a bracket that you put on the, the actual tree. And the first thing I did, there's a ratchet strap that comes along with that. Completely ditched the ratchet strap, and I took um, – with the lone wolf strap that you put around the tree and, you know, hook back to the stand and I ran that through there so I could basically just cinch it down by hand and not worry about, um, you know, the extra noise of ratcheting something. I mean, that's definitely not something you want to be doing when you're running a gun and you're trying to be quiet and as as efficient as you possibly can. Um, another thing, I mean, just, just strapping down my stuff, basically, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put those sticks on that stand and I'll run three bungee torques over the top of that um so it keeps everything pretty much in place and then i can actually um you know i take like a rope and i'll run that up and down throughout the thing so it's actually all one piece um and that makes it really easy to you know if you you got a long track in especially late season you know put some gear in there or whatever um you know that that definitely helps packing a little extra stuff so those are those are a couple of the things that i definitely do but the one thing i think that's that's really uh a game changer for me is, is using something like almost like a holster and or, uh, you know, using your, uh, your, uh, tree harness as a holster so that you can get all the way up in that tree in in one shot. So what, what I basically mean is taking those, those, you know, I'll put the, the first stick up and then I'm putting those next two sticks in in, in a holster, which I, I can either use two ropes um, on each hip or I'm putting it right in my harness and I can go up. I got my bow attached on my left side. Um, And I can go up and I can get it all done in one shot. So ultimately I can get in that tree pretty darn quick. And I would say that's probably the most, most important thing. I mean, if you don't have to make those extra trips back down to the ground, that's, that's definitely, I mean, you're, you're saving time and, and definitely there's a better chance you're not going to make as much noise. So that's definitely, I would say the main thing that I'm doing. Okay. That really changes up the game. What's, so you're using muddy sticks too? Yeah, so, so I got the muddy sticks, and honestly, that is one thing I do prefer um, compared to the lone wolf ones, just because the lone wolf ones, at least the ones that I have, I'm not sure if they have different ones, but they're staggered every other step. When you get up to the top of the tree, especially for the guys who are learning how to run and gun, you want to have as much stabilization as you possibly can. Yeah. So to, to be up there and be on two feet instead of one while setting up your setup, I mean, I, I think that's a big game changer also.
0: Okay. Now, does the, mud, does the muddy allow you to sit vertical in a crooked tree?
1: Yeah, so that one that one adjust, I think it's like four four adjustment points for, you know, if that tree's crooked or whatever, you can kind of do the same thing um, as you can with a with a water wolf too. Gotcha. Okay. So how do you
0: go I mean, so you your goal is one time up the tree, right? You Definitely. you got your system worked out where it's, you know, you got your sticks on your hips, you got your rope tied to your bow, you're setting up, you set the tree stand up, you pull your uh, you know, you pull your bow up and you're good to go, right? Yep. Okay. Now, how do you carry all of your gear into the woods? Because that's a big thing that I think people, you know, fr- from a, from efficiency standpoint, and this is something that I personally had, a, like, I learned a lot of trial by error, trying to find the best system that works for me, whether you put your pack on, then you put your stand on, or you put your stand on, then you put your pack on, and how you, so basically when you get to the tree, you're not taking stuff off and setting it down and then having to put it back on, going up, coming down, you know what I mean?
1: Definitely, and that the one thing I can say right away is using a fanny pack is a game changer when it comes to that. I mean, you put your straps in, in that front pocket, Keep them accessible, and and that's the easiest way to to minimize movement um, and everything like that. So I mean that's that's another big thing. So basically, what I do when I get to the base of the tree, I'm getting out there. Uh, I'm setting that bow down on my left side, and I'm taking off my stand, and I'm putting that on my right side. So when I'm when I'm climbing up the tree, chances are I'm trying to get that that tree stand. Most times, I want to be on the left side of the tree. So. Um, When I put my bow down on the left side, it allows me to not get tangled up when I ultimately attach my rope and and pull that thing up. So, like I said, I'll set that stand down on my right side, take the bungees off, I'll grab that first stick. And another another little hack that I've also kind of picked up on using is just taking a peg sometimes. Sometimes you want to get a little bit higher. I only have three sticks. So, instead of packing in, or, or not even packing in, more so just spending the extra money, because a lot of the... The big name, you know, tree stand companies—they'll sell you the three sticks, but to buy the fourth one, it's a little more expensive. So what I do is I'll just take a tree peg. Maybe sometimes, if I want to get up a little bit higher, screw that in the bottom, and then, uh, like I said, I'll attach that next stick. And as soon as I get that first stick, um, basically on the tree, I'm, uh, I'm putting, you know, my two sticks in my holsters or or, or my harness, whatever, I'm, whatever I'm rolling with that day. And that stand goes back on my back. And another thing I always make sure is I make sure the seat of that stand is down because i've gone up um and i've had it where the, the actual seat is up and it falls down and makes noise so you got to make sure you got gravity on your side when you're doing that but like i said i'll get up there um, i'll attach that bracket which I've, I've got all taped up with duct tape just so there's no metal on metal contact set that sucker in there and, and i'm pretty much good to go and even as far as a bow hanger, i mean just being efficient um i i, I only carry a couple things afterwards i got my ozonics i got a tree saw and I got um, a long, like, bow hanger. And that's actually what I hang my Ozonics on. It allows it to get it up, get it out in front of me a little bit. And I think, ultimately, it might work better. Maybe not. I don't know. But one thing that I do do is I have – it's it's a bow hanger, um, and it's shaped like a U. And it stays right on the base of your stand. You clamp it right on. There. So that's just one less thing that you have to worry about trying to put up when you, uh, you know, when you get up in the tree. Because as soon as you get up there, you can just, you know, slap that – that bow into that little hanger on the side and it's like a u-shape like i said so you slide that sucker in there and you can you know get get the rest of your gear situated quick and and it, it ultimately just makes you more efficient and, and you're ready to hunt a lot faster
0: gotcha so do you have do you have a backpack uh talk to me a little, i guess a little bit about your clothing system too because you probably when it's 35 You know, 30 degrees out, it's below freezing. You're probably not wearing all of your clothes walking into the stand, right?
1: No, definitely. So, like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I I use mostly, I kind of upgrade to the sick of year stuff right now, but that's the one thing that's nice about packing it in with that webbing system that I'm talking about with those bungee cords. Um, If I can do that, I mean, that's, that's best case scenario, but I've also tied, um, those extra garments to my bow when I pull them up. I, I've used the uh, the backpacks, and I, I actually kind of switched halfway through this year. I was using the backpack before, but it's just so so bulky. And when you pull that, that pack up with your bow, it's just a lot of weight that you pulling up with the string. And I, I hate to see the day where my string frays and I don't notice it, and, and I drop all that stuff with the extra weight on there. So ultimately, if I can have that fanny pack with, like I said, the 3 four you know essentials, in my, in my pack versus bringing the whole backpack with the stuff. That's, that's the
0: route that I I prefer. So what about like grunt calls and rattling antlers? And um, I don't know, let's say if you're in for an all day sit or something like that, like snacks
1: and water, all that
0: goes in your fanny pack.
1: I have a decent sized fanny pack. I actually have the, uh, it's the Tenzing TX uh, 7.2 is the name mm-hmm. of it. That's pretty good size, but I mean, you know stuff like gun tubes i can generally get that in there but if i if i'm if i'm wanting to uh you know put the snacks in and everything like that for an all-day sit i would definitely be pushing it on uh you know on space but it's ultimately stuff i just would try to try and sneak in pockets um and that is the nice thing about the, the some of the 50-year stuff i mean you got that that extra pouch and I, I have a couple layers with that pouch with the vest and and you know the hoodie and stuff like that so I can sneak stuff in there if I really needed to, but like I said, if I can get by with just taking the essentials out there with my fanny pack, it just makes it a hell of a lot easier, a lot less bulky, and chances are you're going to make a lot less noise versus carrying a pack out.
0: So where do you keep your Ozonics then? In your fanny pack
1: as well? Uh, it's, it's and like I said, I just have the perfect size uh, fanny pack where it actually fits right in there. Okay. And I, it's actually got a little pouch of itself, kind of like like you have on a sweatshirt um, in the back of the fanny pack. So I can take that that longer... Bow hanger that I actually hang the Ozonics on. It's it's one of those kind of folds down. It's probably if I if I you know unfold it totally, it's probably I don't know 18 inches long. And basically on that hook on the end, that that U-shaped hook, I slide that Ozonics unit on there, and it kind of allows it to one be really mobile, two get it away from the tree and let it overhang me a little bit and kind of kind of work hopefully a little bit better. But yeah, I mean I can get my Ozonics in there. I'm trying to think. Like I said, I got my Ozonics in there, my tree saw. That extra bow hanger, I can slide in there and it takes up next to no room. And I can also get that, uh, that um, you know, my safety rope up in there, too. So it, it's a decent-sized fanny pack. And I, quite honestly, I would say getting a big fanny pack would be a better option than using a backpack, in, in my opinion. It, it works best for me. Like I said, everybody's got their own system. This is just what works for me. Right.
0: You know, you, you saying that makes me want to switch. I'll be honest with you. It's
1: it's it, it, it worth a try. You got you got to give it a shot at least.
0: So, how do you attach your? Do you attach your sticks to your stand, or do you carry your s- sticks separate? Like sticks in one hand, bow in the other hand.
1: So that when I'm when I'm climbing the tree, or when I'm walking in, just when you're walking in. When I'm walking in, like I said, I got those sticks on the back of the stand, and that's when I use that bungee cord system, and I pull it, pull three bungee cords over, and, and attach it back to the stand. So those three sticks are always on my back. The only time that stand comes off my back is just to, to take those bungee cords off quick and get that first stick up. And then, uh, like I said, I put those, those other two sticks in those holsters, and I climb up and go. So I always have everything on my back. And technically, with having that fanny pack around my waist, I have an extra hand at all times. I carry my bow in my, you know, either hand, and I uh, always have an extra hand then. Gotcha. All right.
0: So then, you know, for for some people said you know learning how to do this in the daylight is difficult, but doing it in the dark on a morning hunt, you know, is a whole other other ball game. And I do you know like I very rarely do a run and gun hunt on in the mornings because of that specific reason. Where no matter what, unless you are just great seeing in the dark, or you know just through muscle memory, I guess. You know, I I like to do my running gun in the evening. I set I set up, and then I'll come back to that same stand if the wind allows me the next morning. Okay, right. Uh, and that's that's kind of the system that I run throughout the entire season. So the next the next the next evening hunt, I'll set up, leave everything in the tree. You know, come back. You know, you know. For some people, obviously on public ground, you don't want to do that. But on right. in, on some uh, locations that I feel very comfortable with I'll leave my bow in the in the tree. I, I leave my, you know, all my hangers in the tree, my stand up and I'll just take my my pack down with me and then come back the more in the morning and my ozonics as well. I'm not leaving that in right. the tree. So so give us some tips on how to do you know, be the most efficient morning running gun.
1: Honestly, by doing it at night and learning the system first I mean, I'd, I would never recommend to anybody to go learn how to run and gun in the dark. It's going to end up just a complete mess. I'm getting the muscle memory, knowing step-by-step step what you have to do next is the biggest thing. I mean, like I said, it's a pretty simple system, ultimately. Like, I'm taking my bow, I'm setting it on my left side, put that stand on my right, and, uh, you know, putting that stick on, and I'm, I'm grabbing everything, and I'm going again. So, I mean, as long as you have a decent headlamp, which I always use a red light. I don't know. If I mean a lot of those, you know, they kinda of go back and forth whether or not if you can see the white light or not. I mean I got a decent red light on my head, um, you know, that I got and uh I basically I mean it, it it's it's one of those things you just gotta do it enough. It's like learning the run and gun, you know, by itself. I mean you have to learn it, you have to learn the system before you try and take it to the next step and trust me, I mean I I've learned the hard way doing it in the morning even even after doing it for quite some time. I mean there's certain things that just when you can't see it, it makes a hell of a lot harder so ultimately you just have to do it enough and it becomes easier in the morning i'll never say it's it's easier altogether but it does come easier than than you know than what it, what it basically started off as which is pretty difficult especially the first couple of times doing it in the dark but like i said when we're we in we, the missouri and we're hunting public land i mean you're not going to waste the hunt by you know just either sleeping in or maybe right. the wind changes or you really you really busted in there the night before and you can't go back you know so that's it's always something, if, if you can get good at doing it in the morning, I, I mean, I'd always recommend it.
0: Okay. Now, is there any other modifications um, or alterations that you make to either your gear or your clothing to make running and gunning more efficient for you?
1: As far as clothing goes, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty standard stuff. I mean, I'm not really doing anything too crazy. And when it comes to the customizing the gear, I, mean, I know there's a couple companies that sell certain strips of this and that, ultimately, I mean, it just makes things a lot quieter, but if I can, if I can just go and get some duct tape on some stuff so I can prevent metal-on-metal metal contact, I'm really not doing anything too crazy. Like I said, the, the one thing that I did switch with that muddy is I put that lone wolf strap through it and got rid of that ratchet strap, um, and like I said, the holster, strike, yeah, I, if you want to be, you know, as efficient as you possibly can, I think it's a good idea. you got to have something that can try and get you up in the tree in, in, in one one trip. I mean, sometimes it's not doable. I understand that, especially depending on what you're rolling with, but that's why I kind of equipped myself with the stuff that I did so so that I could do that every single time. So having those holsters, you know, on each side, you could slip those sticks and start climbing. Um, that would definitely, definitely say that's a, that's a pretty big one too. Right.
0: Right. Okay. So talk to me. I want you to give me your best run and gun memory.
1: Oh, best run-and-gun memory. I've got a couple of them. Um, Me and my nephew, I got my nephew on his first decent buck this year. Um, The one stand we had to run-and-gun with, but the other one that's really coming to mind is actually this year, and it's kind of funny how it worked out. Um, So I kind of told the earlier portion of the story, how how the deer came in and stuff, but getting into that tree, that tree was so crooked. When I sat down, and if I held my phone up and you know, had the camera on me, the tree was actually not behind me. It was that crooked. <laughs> if I would lean if I would lean back, my head would not even be on the tree. That's how crooked it was. Right. And, of course, it was in the perfect location, but just tons of branches of pine tree to, to trim. And I'm glad, obviously, I sat in that location, but, I mean, it was just a complete pain. And another thing, just from a safety aspect, I mean... I uh, I I joke about it now. It could have been a lot worse, but I got that first stick up, and I got on the very top of the stick. And I, when, when I when um, I when I took the the strap and I put it around that knob, I didn't get it around the knob all the way. So I'm on the top rung of that that first stick, and if it doesn't give out from underneath, I went on my feet. I landed fine. It wasn't very high at all. But I'm like, you know, I'm sweating my butt off right now, cutting all these branches, getting in the most crooked tree. I get up there and I'm like, there's no way. I, I mean, I made this much noise and. Uh, I mean there's there's no chance and lo and behold this buck he uh he comes in well I saw him from about 300 yards out and he comes in I grounded him in one of the few times that growing works works for me because just you know the high pressure I don't do it unless it's a last resort and he wasn't coming in and I got him to come in with it and uh this this portion of the story I'm not too proud of but he came in at 12 yards and I botched it I mean I hit him I hit him back yeah and he uh he ran off and he got to about 60 yards and he stood there and at this point he was standing there for 10 minutes and I'm contemplating him I I shoot out pretty far I'm pretty pretty comfortable shooting with my bow and it was never a shot that I would ever take in any other circumstance um but I calmed myself down it was almost like I was shooting a target I knew that deer was dead and I said it to myself I said just just make a clean kill because ultimately that's what you want to do as a bow hunter you don't want to you don't want to have those bad shots, but they do happen. And I was just trying to prevent that animal from suffering any longer than I had to. And I tendered him in sixty yards, and I watched him tip over. So, all because of a running gun, I put myself in the right position. Um, and without it, I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that memory. So, I mean, that was definitely one of the one of the freshest ones that come to mind.
0: Nice, that's awesome, man. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm look, I'm at your Facebook page, right? And I see yep. the latest picture. Was this the buck that you shot this last year?
1: Yeah, that was that was this year. It was November
0: 1st. That's the one I got. Man, that body is freaking gigantic.
1: And you know how many people have asked me what it weighed? And for whatever reason, I, I never did weigh him. But I remember trying to hang him up like by myself. And I'm, I'm a decent-sized guy, so I tried to bear a thing. No way. No way. Not, yeah. not even possible. I, I mean, it took a couple of us to get the sucker up. He's definitely the biggest body here. That, I, that i've ever taken so i mean he the, the antlers are one thing but the body was more impressive you know than anything else for yeah. me it was, it was it was definitely a big one i've shot one deer that weighed
0: yeah yeah i'm gonna say one deer that weighed 300 pounds it was a 300 pound whitetail and it looked like that right it was That's unbelievable it was gigantic and it's funny because the picture underneath of it is you riding a bull so you you do yep. you do some rodeo
1: yeah, I dabble with it. One of my buddies, he, uh, he he gets into it pretty serious, and he's talked me into doing it a couple of times. So, uh, so I, I've hopped on a couple, but uh, the adrenaline still. Uh, I mean, it's quite the adrenaline rush. But I'll I'll stick with the, with the bow and it's a, it's a little bit safer. Well, I, t- I tell you that that
0: buck you shot is just as big as uh as that bull you're riding.
1: That's about it. I should just start riding <laughs> whitetails and then not riding bulls. <laughs> oh, that story some would make its rounds. Jumping out, jumping out of the tree stands on them or something. <laughs> hey, man,
0: well, I tell you what, I, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on and uh, talk to us about your running gun style.
1: No problem. I just I uh, hope it can kind of you know help out some of those new guys or or even some of the guys who have been doing it for a while and maybe, maybe to make some modifications that ultimately just – just make sure their they're running gun setup go a little bit more smooth and, and get out there and have success, ultimately. And there you have it, another podcast
0: in the books. Huge shout-out to Brett for coming on the podcast and talking running gun hunting tactics with us, man. Really appreciate it. And on a personal level, I really like having conversations with other other guys who hunt similar to the way I hunt. So. Huge shout-out to you, Brett. Huge shout-out to each and every one of you for taking time to come on the podcast and download it and listen to it and click it and like it and share it and all that other stuff that goes along with it. Please, please, please spread the word about the sportsman's nation right we have the big game uh rss feed that's up and running we have the whitetail you know you've been listening to the whitetail now for a while but share it with your friends we have just got a collection of great podcasts that's full of awesome content so listen more share tell your friends be interactive with us go to the facebook pages ask question you know ask questions get uh, others involved and uh, that's what we're here for so um, whether you're you know you listen to the down you know the uh, uh, southern ground hunting podcast or you're listening to land and legacy and you have a question for those guys reach out to any one of the people who put out the podcast on the sportsman's nation and I I guarantee you they will answer your questions so uh, just a little food for thought there other than that, huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast, Rip, Ripcord, Exodus, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonix, Gearhead, and Wasp. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. And if you've listened long enough, man, almost all of them have discount codes. So, uh, take advantage of those as well. Other than that, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, not only on Nine Finger Chronicles, but on the Sportsman's Nation as well. And go leave a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. And other than that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be in a tree doing something, please wear your damn safety harness.
1: Have a good week.